Hello and welcome back to the Irish Football Fans Podcast. I'm Joseph McCarthy of the Irish Abroad website and I'm joined by Philip Flanagan of the Bottomless Pit of Football. How are you doing, Phil? Joe, how's things? What are you at? I'm good, I'm good, thanks. So, the season has finally come to an end in England. The European spots and relegation have been decided in the Premier League. The champions have long been decided and we'd like to congratulate Liverpool on their first title win in 30 years and also on the brand of football that they've played across the season and across the last few seasons, raising the standards for everyone. From the Championship, Leeds and West Brom have been promoted and will replace Norwich, Bournemouth and Watford. The Championship playoffs are, are still ongoing at the moment and it looks like we're going to be seeing Brentford playing off against Fulham. So in this episode, we're going to take a look back at the last 14 months of football. We're going to look at the, the highs and lows as it relates to Irish players across the water and what maybe we have to look forward to when the new season kicks off in September. Phil, if you'd like to start, what do you think were the, the negatives from the, the last more than year's uh, worth of football? Negatives? Let me see. It's you know so hard to remember 14 months ago, to be honest with you. He said that Liverpool, it was 30 years since they won the last title. It felt like 30 years since the start of the season. I suppose negatives off the pitch would be I suppose it could be seen as a positive, but Delaney going and just the whole crumbling of the FAI around him and that fiasco, that's one of the big ones. Two of the other big ones for me, one is Randolph moving back to West Ham, which was a that's a bit of a disaster for us. And Troy Parrott was the other one for me. People might say, oh, he signed a new contract and he's only young. But when you see the likes of Connolly and Ida and Obafemi kicking on and you have someone who's talked about 10 times more than them, not really even getting a kick. That was one of the bigger disappointments for me. Obviously, then you have McCarthy leaving without fulfilling his, his last few games, but there was nothing he could do about that. But they'd be the main ones for me, really. Yourself? Yeah, I'd have to agree with you on Darren Randolph. He's moved to West Ham, and I 100% understand why he made that move. As meant that he hasn't played a lot of football since January, really. And across the season... He's only made 17 starts uh, since last August. That's a lot of football for a position where we don't have a lot of depth in. I, you know, I've been compiling the, the season stats and Randolph and Westward are the only goalkeepers in the top two divisions in England to have made more than 10 starts. And that's uh, 17 and 14 each. When you look at the likes of Travers and Kelleher, they haven't made into double figures. Mark Travers only started five games and, and Kelleher only started four. All of those were in the cup competitions. I know we've discussed it before, but we are looking into a, a goalkeeping crisis at senior and international level. And I think Randolph will continue to be the first choice purely because he's the man in possession of that number one jersey. But I would hope that Stephen Kenny is looking far and wide for someone to challenge him for that jersey because even as things stand, we're going to struggle to to fill the substitute goalkeeper's position. One of the negatives for me, one of the big negatives for me this season was the lack of progress made by the players that transferred to Celtic You know, in the close season last year. So we had Jonathan Afalabi's contract expired at Southampton and apparently he was being monitored by a few different clubs before finally choosing to, to sign on at Celtic Park. The O'Connor had appeared for Manchester United's under-23 side in the EFL Trophy. He still had made his debut for the senior Manchester United team, but he was very much on the fringes of the squad. And finally, Luke O'Connell, who had tasted first-team experience at Bolton before moving to Celtic Park. And none of those are the other Irish players who are already there. I'm thinking of, of, of Coffey who's, again, has been talked about as, as a, a midfield player for the future at Celtic Park, having played a minute of senior football for, for Neil Lennon's side. So Afalabi went out on loan so, and with O'Connor to the Scottish Championship, but it's a poor standard of football, and, and even in the time that they had before the season was cancelled in Scotland, did they really learn anything from it? Celtic have already started their pre-season preparations for the new Scottish season that starts this weekend and Luke O'Connell was named on the bench in four of those games but only played the last 45 minutes of a, a friendly last Monday. For me that's that's very disappointing especially for 
O'Connor and Connell, who we expected to challenge for the, the first team at Celtic Park. I think O'Connor especially was really unlucky on the day that he signed, that they also signed another fullback from Manchester City, which meant that he was straight away, he was on the back foot in that uh, in that race for that starting spot in defence at Celtic Park. They're unlucky in a way because the thing about the Scottish League is it's not like the Championship where they got it finished or even the League One where they got the playoffs. Like It literally just stopped dead. So they're exactly where they were when they moved, they're no further along. You know, it's a good bit of time wasted. It's half a season gone, really, where they haven't made any progress. Because you would imagine Neil Lennon just sets off again now at the start of this season coming up. He wouldn't have made any massive judgments. He'll probably go with nearly the same starting eleven that he finished the season with midway through the season. So there's, there's time lost there. So that's a disappointment, especially for O'Connor, as you said, because that game he had for, for the international side, he looked really good. Too good to be sitting on the bench at Celtic. It's too good to not even be sitting on the bench at Celtic. You know, going out on loan yeah. to Partick Thistle, who were struggling at the bottom of the Scottish Championship before the season was cancelled. He wasn't really able to make any kind of an impact there. I would say that they've learned very little in the last twelve months of football. You know, not just the last six months. Yeah, they're going to find it tough to get into the starting eleven or into the matchday squad at Celtic Park. Another negative is that Damien Duff has left the coaching structure as well. And uh, you have to imagine that learning your trade under one of Ireland's greatest players is a massive draw for our Irish underage players. And again, you have to imagine that he's the kind of person who would push these Irish players into the first team picture. Without him there, you kind of wonder how that's going to happen. Luke O'Connell was the only player who's been involved in Celtic's preseason so far. And the new season is starting this weekend. I don't know if any of them are going to be involved in the first team picture even before Christmas. Yeah, I suppose it's a bit like it's a bit like when a first team player signs for, for a manager and he gets sacked out the door. He signed for that manager and once the manager goes, he's in limbo. Like with all these players, Irish young Irish players that have gone to Celtic, it's probably nearly the same with Duff because He'd be doing a lot of the coaching there anyway. Neil Lennon probably wouldn't see them an awful lot unless they were with the first team. So he might have had a hand in, in bringing them over. And for them to go over and then for Duff to leave and the season to get cancelled, it's, it's, a, it's a, nothing short of a disaster for them, really. Because whoever they bring in there might have new ideas. or You wouldn't know how much input Lennon actually has with the youth squad over there. I'm not sure myself. Maybe he has a lot more than I'm, I'm giving him credit for, but... But it's definitely, as you said, a huge loss with Duff going. Yeah, and on that theme of Irish players missing out, uh, Keane Flanagan was released by Crystal Palace in the summer. And again, a year ago, he was the Academy Player of the Year at Palace. But he commented during the season that because Palace don't have that top-level Academy status, players like him who kind of come to the end of their, their schoolboy contracts are in a bit of a in a bit of a no man's land really they don't have the experience to push on for a first team position but they're still too good to be playing outside of the Premier League 2 competition he did have a trial just before christmas i'm not sure if it was with a view to a loan or a permanent transfer but obviously that didn't materialize so now he finds himself without a club and obviously because of the ongoing global health crisis Clubs themselves don't have a lot of money to spend. And I know he's not the only player in the situation. And every summer there are academy graduates who are released. But it's going to be very tough this year for the released academy players to try and find a new club. If they don't have money to spend on on wages, obviously as a free agent, a transfer fee won't be involved. What do you think, Phil? Yeah, it's a good point. Um, yeah, The thing about clubs, especially, well, I would say going up to every level, if they do not have to spend money, they will not be spending money. Like, that might have a, a positive knock-on effect for other Irish players looking to break into first teams, but academy players like that, be interesting to see, I don't know, is there any talk of, of academy players like that even coming back to the League of Ireland? You know, even just to get some, some football, get some game time, they haven't, the, the options are limited otherwise. 
Yeah, Flanagan, I think, is from London, so I don't know if the League of Ireland is an option for him, but I know that he was scouted by uh, Stephen Kenny at one point to bring him into the under-21 squad. It's possible he could recommend him to a League of Ireland club. Also released, uh, which I was a little surprised by, was Aidan O'Brien at Millwall. He's been at the club for ever really joined him as a youngster progressed through their their school buying academy setup and into the first team was part of the, the side that was promoted from league one and finds himself released at the, the end of his contract you know he represented ireland at under 21 level scored a hat-trick for the under 21s and marked his international senior debut with a, a goal against poland he's been in and out of the the middle wall team over the last two years or so so maybe it's not too surprising that he has been released even though as I say he's been there for the entirety of his career and the majority of his of his life I think he could definitely do a job for a, a lower half championship side you know maybe someone like Stoke or Luton could take a look at him and I, I definitely can do a job for a club in at uh, the top half of League One maybe someone who finished outside the playoffs and then looking to push on someone like say Fleetwood Town who but who fell in the in the playoffs and are just looking for another goal scorer. Yeah, he, he should pick up a club, as you said. Might get a bit of a, an Irish spine going through the Fleetwood team there with Glenn Whelan. Yeah, and you'd hope Glenn Whelan has worked with him as the senior Ireland team and he could recommend him to Joey Barton, the manager there at Fleetwood. Again, as a player that's available on a free, I think he'd be uh, an attractive proposition for clubs who are looking to not spend money on transfers and might have a little bit more available for wages uh, for that reason. I don't think it's the end of the world that for Irish for the Irish players they have been relegated. There's a trend going through the championship this season anyway where an awful lot of young players are, are, are starting an awful lot of games. The championship used to be where 10 years ago where you were you know 29 gassing in the Premier League you drop down and you'd you do a job in the middle, whereas now it's it's young players all the way, it seems. So with Norwich, you've got Ida there, who, you know, he played it 12 times this year. He got the hat-trick in the cup. I could see him getting a lot of game time next year with Norwich because they're not going to have a whole lot of money to spend. That's one That's one big... I think that's a big positive for me. Yeah, and it's taken a positive from, from the negative. Look, mm. he's not going to play Premier League football next season, and that's obviously... That's not ideal, but he, I think Norwich... And Bournemouth and Watford, like all relegated sides, they're going to lose their best players to Premier League clubs. I can see someone coming in for Pucky. I can see someone coming in for Cantwell. And I think that will mean that Ida could be their starting striker in the championship next season. And I think he'll score for fun there, to be honest. He didn't start a lot of games for Norwich, even you know, even after relegation was confirmed. He was still you know a late substitute, maybe 15 minutes, maybe half an hour. But I think in the 2021 season, we're going to see him in that starting 11 at Carroll Road, week in, week out. Similarly, Bournemouth, I think next season we're going to see Travers as their starting goalkeeper. Um, I think Kilkenny didn't really get a, a look in at the first team, but I think next season he will. The rumours are that Fraser is going to leave, which obviously opens up a spot in midfield. He mightn't start the season as a starting player, but I can see him in the matchday squad. And as we say at Watford, their big player is Troy Deeney. He's a proven Premier League striker. I think he'd be ideal for someone like Leeds, someone like maybe Aston Villa, who did struggle to convert the chances that were being created by their midfield. And that'll open up a spot for, for Ireland's Ryan Cassidy, who signed a new contract during the summer. So, yes, it's always disappointing to see clubs with Irish players relegated, but it comes with the caveat that next season we're going to see him playing championship football, which is still a good level. And I actually think Norwich are going to come straight back up. They're still going to have the majority of the squad that got promoted two seasons ago. And I can see them challenging for the top of the championship again. Yeah. As you said, it's obviously it's disappointing to see Irish players get relegated. But I think the difference between this season and any other season is... We're not seeing the likes of, you know, 28-year-old Conor Horan getting relegated and you're like, oh God, will he ever come back? We're seeing like Anamida go down and he's only had 12 games where he's still developing as a player. And, you know, one good run at the championship wouldn't do him any harm. You know, I'd rather see him play a full season in the championship, maybe get 10 or 11 goals, than have another season in the, the Premier League 
making fleeting appearances, especially at the age he is, for development purposes. I think that he'd be much better off. And along with Travers, the interesting thing is uh, Boric is actually out of contract now. So there, there's a few of them at, at Bournemouth. Their contracts were up just after the, the last game. So he's 40. So I suppose we'll know in the next few weeks if they sign him back for a season as cover. If not, we'll just have to keep an eye out and see if they do sign a keeper. Because you, you never know. Travers might, might go in there next season. My tip for next season, Wiley, is for Bournemouth to get relegated into League One. Do you think that Howe is going to move on as well? Yeah, I would imagine so. It depends. It depends on the offer. If it depends on offers, does he does he hang around at Bournemouth for the first ten games of the season and wait for someone to get sacked in the Premier League and then take a chance? You know, he's been at Bournemouth an awful long, long time. I don't think they have the squad for the Championship. I just don't think they're built for it. Once they lose, maybe Wilson, King, Fraser's going on a free. You'd imagine Ake is going to go. You know, there's not a lot left there. They don't. They're not a big physical side. They just. They don't look like they're made out for the big grueling slog. I think so. That's just my own opinion. I think they could be in serious, but I can't see them finishing in the top ten anyway. I read as well during the week that they have one of the highest ratios of turnover to wages in the Premier League. Dean Court is a. one of the smallest grounds in the Premier League ever, so they don't get a lot of money in terms of uh, match day revenue, um, but they were still paying the entire squad more money than it was coming in, basically. I think their their wages to turnover ratio was something like more than 80%, which could see them in trouble in the championship. Uh, I'm not sure if that would come under you know financial fair play, but they will need to do something about those levels of payments. Yeah, well, they've spent, you know, I know everyone always goes on, but they've spent money on, on the likes of Ibe and Solanke. When you see the money they spend on them, 15 million, 9 million, the wages have to be huge along with those transfer fees. You know, there's a good chance the likes of Dominic Solanke's on 60 grand, maybe Ibe as well, which is crazy, which for a club like that, as you said, with the stadium that size and the, the ratio of, of um, wages to turnover. That's just you're not you don't survive that unless you unless you get them out the door. Yeah, at the other end of the championship, we've seen Charlton, Wigan, and Hull relegated, but the team that we all tipped to go down, Luton, stayed up and stayed up with uh, points to spare. That was an unbelievable comeback considering where they were even after the the restart. They were rock bottom. They were conceding goals. They weren't scoring. But they've turned things around and will have another season in the championship. And James Collins is their, their top scorer. I know we tipped him to, to possibly move on if Luton got relegated. But I think he's going to spend at least another season there and confirm his status as a championship striker or a championship level striker. Yeah, absolutely. And, and well deserved. Great to see him make the step up. And, you know, he's had a, he's had a, a couple of fleeting appearances for the, the international team. You know, he's always an option, I suppose. If he stays in the championship, was you know, he earned his senior call up as well. You know, he left Aston Villa at a young age. He had a reputation as a goal scorer in League Two and League One, and now scored regularly for a poor Luton team. I know we are happy to see them stay up, but you know they did have a, a poor season and they were the relegation favourites. And I think they'll start the twenty twenty one season as relegation favourites in the championship. He's an Ireland international. He scored on his debut. Stephen Kenny isn't going to rule anybody out. I think he will be an understudy in that target man, pivot, whatever you want to call it, role at best. But he's not going to be ruled out by Stephen Kenny. He's not going to turn around and say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not picking James Collins. No, no, I, I don't think so. He'll, he'll be there. He'll be there along with the likes of McGoldrick and, and probably Long again. Probably third on that list of the three. Uh, so let's move away from the, the negatives. I think there's enough negativity in the world at the moment. And let's focus on the positives. And I think the big positive for me this year has been the form and performances of Matt Doherty for Wolves. He scored in Europe. He scored in the Premier League. They just missed out on just European football through the, through the league, but they are still in the Europa League and one are one of the favourites to, to lift the trophy in Portugal at the end of August. The 
big question that was faced by the last two international managers was how do we get Matt Doherty and Seamus Coleman? Let's not forget he is the senior international captain into the same team. How do you think Stephen Kenny is going to approach that problem? I don't know. And I know we talked about it before, but it could be the thing that defines his managerial career with the Irish team. Because if things go south quickly or they don't get off to the, the greatest start and he's not playing Doherty, that will be the stick people use to beat him with. As always has, it's, it's usually team selection is what Irish managers get grilled on the most. Personally, I always said it, I think he should be straight in there. He's our best player, maybe not by a mile now because of John Egan's performance this year, but he's definitely our best player. And that's two seasons in a row where he's just been fantastic in the Premiership. And he's had a season in Europe as well. So I don't think there should be any question. I think he should be should be straight in. Is it a 4-4-2 or a, a 4-3-3? If he is, then he has to go right back. Kenny said he probably won't be playing three at the back. If he does, then he has to go uh, right wing back. I think he, he has to be in there. And I know Coleman's the captain, but you have to play your best players to give yourself a chance. This is Kenny's biggest job, and it's the only time he's going to manage Ireland. So he can't really have any regrets. And he knows, like the rest of us, that Matt Doherty is currently a much better player at right back than Seamus Coleman. So that's what I think about that, strongly enough. <laughs> I was looking at the, the various formations that have been discussed and, you know, obviously traditionally Ireland have played 4-4-2 apart from a, a brief foray into 3-5-2 under Mick McCarthy at the beginning of his first reign. And I was wondering if we did decide to play a 4-3-3 similar for, to the formation that Kenny was using as under-21 manager, would Darty be a choice at right wing forward? He does like to get forward for Wolves, provide crosses and and score. Do you think he could play a similar role for Ireland? Yeah, I don't see why not. Um, he's got all the attributes of a good attacking winger. He's just solid at the back as well. So if you take half his job away, then he can focus on, on the attacking side of the game. I don't see why not. Like He likes to cut inside a lot as well. The way we play, we don't generally bomb down the wing and try to cross the ball in anyway. So yeah, absolutely. We struggle for wingers anyway. We've got Cam- Callum Robinson, we've got um, James McLean. We haven't, you know, Brady possibly, but we haven't got much outside of that. So if Mendham getting in the team, then that will be a happy compromise. But yeah, that that will be an option, I would say. What do you think yourself? I think it would be an interesting choice. And obviously the negative side of it is that a role he doesn't play at club level. And I don't like to see players tried in a position they're not familiar with and the level of Stephen Kenny's first games we can't make a mistake we can't make a mistake away to Bulgaria we can't make a mistake at home to Finland and we certainly can't make a mistake in the the playoff I'm not sure if playing Matt Doherty out in a position he's not familiar with but maybe a role that he can do would count as a mistake it could be interesting I think if we do play 4-3-3 the only obvious rival for that role as a, a wing forward is possibly Callum Robinson. He did finish the season strongly with West Brom. I was sorry to see him go out on loan from Sheffield United because it meant one less player in the Premier League, but it was the right move for him. He wasn't getting into the first team at Sheffield United. He had scored in the Premier League, but he wasn't a regular starter and the move to West Brom, he kicked on from it and now has the option possibly of a move to West Brom or staying with established Premier League side, Sheffield United. And on that, Sheffield United's Irish contingent is a massive positive for me. None of us knew how they were going to perform this season. We all assumed that they might battle against relegation, maybe not get relegated, but they were probably thinking 16th or 17th is going to be a massive achievement. And now they're looking at finishing ninth is disappointment. They were in the mix for uh, European qualification right up until the last few games of the season. I think tiredness possibly caught up with them. You know, they have a very settled starting 11, but that means that across the season, especially towards the end of the season, fatigue becomes a, a factor. But we still saw Andy Stevens, David McGoldrick, and especially John Egan performing at a very high level throughout the season. And I honestly couldn't pick between Egan or Doherty for my player of the season. Stevens started every one of Sheffield United's 38 
league games. Um, Egan started 36. What do you think we're going to see from the next season? I think more of the same. Um, it depends if teams can figure out basically how to stop them from playing the system they play. But as far as Egan is concerned, if I was a club like Arsenal now, who maybe don't have all the money in the world and are looking to buy a couple of midfielders, but their defence is intelligent, you know, you'd have to be looking at John Egan. Even someone like, uh, someone maybe lower than them, who'd be lower than them, not Wolves, I suppose. Someone like Arsenal, you know, he's had an unbelievable season. And the same with Stevens. And I think you'll see more of the same from them next year. Like, it depends how well they buy as well. Like, it, it's it's their first season, so it's a big transfer window coming up for them. They need to flesh the squad out a bit. And as you said, they did get tired towards the end of the season. But I actually think in the long run, you know, ninth or eighth was probably the perfect spot for them to finish because or they don't have the squad probably, or they mightn't have the financial status to, to go and attack the Europa League next year. And it could be a bit of a hindrance for them. So I think maybe getting just another couple of seasons under the belt, mid table for them and just to establish them is the best thing. But, um, Egan's and Stevens, um, definitely two of the biggest positives. And McGoldrick. McGoldrick played a lot of games. And it was great to see him get his two goals as well at the end of the season. Yeah, we, we all remember Ipswich, I suppose, 20 years ago now, coming up from the Championship, finishing in the European spots, and playing in the what was then still the UEFA Cup against Inter Milan, and getting relegated in the same season because they didn't have the squad to compete on that many fronts in one season, and I don't want to see that happen to Sheffield United. I'd like to see them show that the season wasn't a fluke. They have the right manager, he has the squad, he wants, he knows how he wants them to play, and they're responding to that. I think finishing somewhere between 7th and 10th will be another massive achievement for him. I think the teams that are coming up from the Championship, Leeds and West Brom, are better than Bournemouth, Watford and Norwich, so straight away you're looking at the relegation spots i think brighton are going to struggle next season i think west ham are probably going to change their manager before the end of the season and aston villa only survived in the last two games and they had the second worst goals conceded in the premier league norwich were the only team that were worse than them and they were relegated they only scored a goal more than relegated bournemouth and obviously they have their their talisman jack Grealish is going to stay i think He'll stay there now. I think if they got relegated, he would have left. But he's not going to abandon his boyhood club in the Premier League. I was a little disappointed that Tyreek Rice, who had been training with the first team, didn't get uh, a look in the matchday squads after the restart. But the relegation battle that Villa were in, that's not somewhere where you bring in a, a raw youth player. We could possibly see him in the, the early rounds of the League Cup next season. And I really hope we do because I think he's a really promising player. He's got an eye for goal from midfield. He's good with the ball at his feet. And he could be someone who, in 12 months' time, has made the last few weeks of the season a little bit more comfortable for Aston Villa. Yeah, so Connolly, Aaron Connolly, you know, um, scoring his two goals against Spurs out of nowhere. I was actually up at a friend's house watching that game. And only after having a newborn baby. And it was the first time I had the baby in my hands. And Connolly put one in, and I jumped, and the baby, I kind of shook the baby, started to roar. And then about 10 minutes later, I did it again. But uh, Connolly, when you look at the likes of Parrot, who has got no game time um, at all, and has been talked about as the second coming, and then you have someone like Connolly, who has come in, and the manager's shown great faith in him. He's played a good few games, he's got his three goals, um, and he really looks, you can see that the progression is there. You know, so I think that's that's been a real high, along with I suppose Obafemi as well. And the other one I have, I suppose, it encapsulates all those players is the under twenty ones, way back. Just um, I know we're talking about the clubs, but the under twenty ones beating Sweden home and away. You know, there's a lot of players in there that are playing Championship and Premier League football that we're going to see a lot more of in next season. So that you know, that's a huge plus, the biggest plus for me. I know our friend and colleague Mark Kennedy will never forget the day. Aaron Connolly scored twice against Tottenham Hotspur. It was the day he got married. Oh, lovely. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I think um, when I was compiling the season stats, you know, there's been a, an uptick in the number of players, Irish players in the Premier League. 
there's been an uptick in the Irish goal scorers in the Premier League. Um, we didn't see anyone score more than Matt Doherty's four goals, which is a little disappointing, but it means that we, we've seen more players score less goals. We thought that Shane Duffy would continue his goal-scoring form for Brighton, but unfortunately it doesn't look like the manager likes him. And some of the messages that he's put in social media towards the end of the season would indicate that he's possibly on the way out from the Seagulls. But he's an established Premier League player. He's a threat at both ends of the pitch. I think someone like Aston Villa would be absolutely ideal for him. Hopefully, you know, even if he doesn't move on, he can re-establish himself in that Brighton first team. Yeah, um, yeah, it does look like he's off. Um, I was having this debate with someone on Twitter the last night. I suppose it's all down to Ben White. What happens there? Like you'd imagine they would sell him if the money was right. You know, the fee being talked about is is in the the thirty million pound range. Um, but Duffy is a good like he does an awful lot of lumping for Ireland, but he's a good passer of the ball. He's twenty eight. You know, would ten million get him? You know, he'd be a great signing for a team coming up. Even Leeds, you know, if Leeds let White go and, well, if they couldn't sign him and he went back to Brighton and they kept him or sold him, like, Duffy would be an option for them there. Um, you know, he's, I can't see him struggling to get a club. But he, he needs first-team football now at, at this stage. But I think he'd get first-team football in the Premier League if he left Brighton. It, it would be Brighton's loss. Definitely. He's a, an established Premier League player. They have a small squad. They don't have a lot of money to spend. It just happens that the combination of manager and player isn't right. And sometimes that happens. I mean, that's football. Warren O'Hora was just announced today as the Academy Player of the Year at Brighton. So we could see him in the first team next season. Um, and, you know, as a defender, he, might, he could possibly push... Duffy out and they could say we have this extremely promising uh, youth player and we can we think he can replace Duffy in the match day squad unfortunately you know that's that's football yeah if the money was if an offer came in for Duffy and the money was right they'd have him out the door rapid yeah and I think he he would leave he knows himself this is what the situation is better than anyone and I I don't think he'll want to spend another season not getting game time um, for the for the manager, I don't think it's a falling out. I don't think it's a lack, loss of form. I think it's just a combination of the football the manager want to play and the type of footballer that Shane Duffy is. Yeah, I'm very surprised Potter actually lasted the season. I was full sure they were going to go down. Chris Hutton was there for I think four years. Um, when he took over, they were battling against relegation at the bottom of the championship. He got them promoted. He kept them in the Premier League and then was given the sack a day later. They're prepared to give the manager a chance. Yeah, Brighton did improve this season, not by a lot. A few more points, a few places further up the table, more goals scored and less goals conceded. But they were still in that relegation mix until maybe the last two or three weeks of the season. I think that's for them... Next season, they'll have to look to push up into that kind of 10 to 15 position. And, you know, if they do fall below that, then maybe the manager's position will come into question. But no, I, I thought Potter would stay the season. You know, now he has to, he has to reward the, the fate that the, the chairman has in him. In the championship uh, next season, we're going to have Coventry, Wickham and Rotherham. Coventry have under 21 cap Jordan Shipley on their books. They've recently signed Jay McGrath. He's the son of former under-21 cap John McGrath from Limerick, who played in the Premier League briefly for Aston Villa. Wickham don't have any Irish representation in their, their first-team squad, but Rotherham have former League of Ireland player Trevor Clark and, my apologies if I'm mispronouncing his name, Giadozi Ogbeni. They've under-18 cap Joshua Keod. Ogbeni only declared for Ireland recently, and I was looking at his record and he assisted 11 goals across the season, which is a pretty good return for a, for a winger. Like Rotherham, I think are going to struggle to establish themselves in the top half of the championship. But do you think that Kenny is going to look at uh, any of these players for his senior team? Well, knowing Kenny, he'll look at them all. But I think the one he'll be looking at most is uh, Ogbeni, because as we said earlier, we are devoid of wingers, and he's a natural winger. 
who's had a good season at Rotherham. So I think he'll definitely be one to look at. He's an odd one because he never played underage. So, you know, he's new on the scene. I definitely think you'll be having a look at him, yeah. Do you know how old he is? Uh, he's 23, I think. Yeah, so you, you might see him in a friendly squad. You wouldn't know. It, you know, depending on how, how the first few games go in the championship, you, you, you may see him pop into a friendly squad. He was born in Nigeria, but raised in Cork, played League of Ireland for Cork City and Limerick before moving to, to Brentford in 2018. He had said all along that he was interested in playing internationally for Ireland, but he only formally declared this summer. And Rotherham is kind of similar to Luton, who came up from League One last season, probably going to struggle in the championship. It's a very tough division to get promoted from. There's teams that have been scrapping there for years. You know, you look down through the list and there's, there's a lot of ex Premier League clubs who struggling. Stoke City struggled this year. Blackburn only finished mid-table. You know, Middlesbrough finished 17th. Wigan got relegated due to financial irregularities. I think from a an entertainment point of view, it's probably a more attractive proposition than the than the Premier League. Yeah, it's certainly more competitive anyway. Like you nearly have a new winner every season. And I wouldn't say there's much between the bottom five in the Premier League and the top five in the Championship. There's not a lot between them. It's definitely, as you said, one of the most entertaining. But it, it is, just going back to, I know we were speaking about Bournemouth earlier, it's, it's, it's a slog. Like it's a, it's, You really have to not change your game, but you really have to be prepared for it. And as you said, you have teams like Middlesbrough, Forest, Blackburn, all these big teams that even Stoke look like going down. They're only down there a couple of seasons. So it just shows you how tough it is to get back up. You look, even look at the likes of like who's come up. Like there's a lot of teams that have been relegated and then relegated again, like Blackpool down to League One. There's been a good few. So yeah, definitely, definitely one of the toughest in Europe. Anyway, there's a lot of clubs who just seem to be stuck there. Forest, Preston, Derby, always looking at challenging for a playoff spot, and Forest falling out of the playoff positions in the last day of the season after a. Bizarre set of results. Six goals swing. Yeah, it's football. What can you say? Yeah, I think though, like we were speaking about Sheffield earlier, I think the way it's gone is if you have a plan, a four to five year plan, and you try and stick to it as best you can, you're giving yourself the best chance. You look at the likes of Liverpool, City, Sheffield, Leeds, Brentford, they all have these plans. They're going to, they're just going to do what they're doing for three or four years, five years, and they're going to stick to it. And these are the teams that are progressing. And you look at the rest of them then, and they're changing managers every season. The recruitment's always different. The style changes every now and again. And they're going nowhere. And like when you watch a documentary like Sunderland Till I Die, and you see the types of people running these clubs in the championship, even I remember the QPR documentary a few years ago, it's no wonder they're stuck down there because half of them don't have a clue what they're doing which is easy for us to say here doing a podcast, but like they really don't. And when you have competition like Klopp and Bielsa and all these guys and they're given time, you know, um, Chris Ryder, you don't have a chance. So that's why the championship is probably so competitive as well. It's probably because there's so many clubs being badly mismanaged. Like look at Wigan. Yeah, and something that struck me watching the, the two series of Sunderland Until I Die is that these people that come in to take over as as chairman, to take over the run of the club. They're successful in their own fields as in business and finance. And now they look at football as something else that they can succeed at. But you can't apply the same rules where they've been successes to football and assume that it will guarantee you success. It won't. Like at Sunderland, I think there's something fundamentally broken in the club. And it's permeated the entire structure and it needs to be rebuilt from the bottom up. They've got a phenomenal training ground. They've got a great pitch. They have a fanatical following. But there's something in the DNA of the club right now that needs to be removed. We talk about Arsenal or doing an Arsenal or Spurs, you know, being a bit Spursy. The probably the most famous team talk of all time is Sir Alex Ferguson away to Spurs. He opens the door, looks at the players, says, lads, it's Spurs, and then they go out and win. It could be something, and there's something that needs to be changed in the attitudes, in the 
mentality of the club before it become a success. And as I say, from watching the two seasons of Sunderland till I die, that's possibly what needs to happen at Sunderland. And it's not going to happen in a single season. It's going to happen over, as you say, maybe a five-year plan is needed. And I think a really good example of that is Southampton. They were stuck in League One. They had a ground that they couldn't fill. They had an academy that they were losing players from, but they picked the right manager. He brought the right mentality into the players. They came up from League One. They came up from the championship. They've established themselves in the Premier League. They had a bit of a wobble, but as I said before, I think that was because they strayed from that plan and they got managers that weren't the right fit for the club. But Hasenhudl is a right is the right manager for that club right now. And I don't think anyone who would take over at Sunderland would find the right manager in a couple of weeks and expect to get promoted. I'd love to see Sunderland back in the Championship. I'd love to see him back in the, the Premier League. They're a great club. They have a great fan base. I think it would be great for the area as well. They're suffering a lot at the moment. And I think they're gonna, it's going to get worse after Brexit. Yeah, definitely. I suppose with the owners, though, as well, it's, it's, if you have owners, which most of them are, all owners, I suppose, are, are driven by money. But just when you look at the likes of Sunderland till I die and like everything was like, you know, if we don't win, we're, we're going to lose this much. Or it was really like if we don't win or go up, we are screwed. Whereas that is just the worst position to get yourself into in the first place, because then all of your decisions are influenced heavily by finances. I'm not saying that that's basically how football's run anyway, but you're getting to the stage where you're getting desperate, where you're like, lads, if you don't go out and win this playoff, we are fucked. Like To get to that stage is is a disaster. You want to be in a stage where you're like, okay, if we don't win the playoff, whether we've had a good season, we can go again next year. Whereas with Sunderland, it's like, if we don't win the playoff, we have to sell our striker and he's gone and we're screwed. So the added pressure there, is crazy. And then that's how you get these lads running football clubs because you're desperate for money. Just look at Wigan. You need a few pounds. Here comes a guy. Here, I'll give you 40 million for your club and I'll give you 10 million for transfers. It's, you see it as a golden ticket, but really they don't have any interest in progressing the club football-wise. They just need to make a few pounds out of it. So you're just digging and digging and digging and digging. And that's what's, what's screwing a lot of these clubs over at the end of the day. Yeah, it's tragic to say, really. We're not far off someone winning the Euro Millions or the big jackpot in England and buying a club like in the Championship or in League One. Someone winning 80 or 100 million and going, here, come on, I'll buy the club. And someone like Wigan being desperate. I'm just using Wigan as an example because of what's going on this season. But it wouldn't surprise me like if someone actually did that. like Because what's the difference between some fell off the street winning the lotto and buying a club and some Thai millionaire buying the club? There's no difference. The fell off the street might actually have a bit more of an idea. Uh, yeah, I think they tried that in a storyline on Dream Team yeah. <laughs> way back in the day on it Sky One. Did it happen in Scotland? Did someone buy like a League Two club in Scotland or something? It's not because it's so money-driven down there now and clubs are just desperate to get back any way they can. I actually think next season we're going to see a lot of clubs struggle in similar circumstances to Wigan. It's because they haven't had, you know, League One and League Two clubs haven't had match day revenue since March championship clubs okay they have had live games broadcast but it doesn't really bring in enough we still don't know when we're going to see crowds back uh, into new season although i heard today that they want to use the community shield as a trial for a limited number of fans the way things are looking at the moment we're not we're not going to see even half full stadiums before christmas no, you could see a lot of winding up up next year, winding up orders, and, and no one will be there to save them. That's the thing. I know we we got a little sidetracked there. We were supposed to finish on the. So that was the highs of the season. Yeah, <laughs> clubs going to the wall. Yeah, dream team. Yeah, um, got the dream team reference in. Oh, I think we should try and work one in every week. Fed if I could, if we could finish by asking you your team of the season. Yeah, so I presume you mean Irish team of the season. Please. <laughs> Quick question for you before I go. Who have you got in goal? I have Randolph, but it was because I couldn't pick anyone else. Yeah, I have Randolph, and then in brackets I have uh, Nathan Tobin. Okay. Do you ever hear Nathan Tobin? Can't say I have, no. Okay, do you remember that Irish goalkeeper who was doing the practicing in the back garden? The, the young fella. Yeah, he got, he got 
De Gea and Mata and everybody got on to him and oh, they raised a load of money in that. Yeah. Yeah, AFM is my goalkeeper this season. Okay. okay. I'm sure he's, <laughs> I'm sure he's honoured by it. Because Radnoff uh, doesn't deserve it. Back four of uh, Ireland's best player, Matt Doherty, followed by Ireland's second best player, John Egan. Beside Egan, I have Dar O'Shea. Okay. Who has... He signed a three-and-a-half-year deal this year. He's been brilliant with West Brom. I was looking at the West Brom starting 11 that played their last game in the league. He's 21. There's a couple of 22-year-olds, and that's it. West Brom's squad is, is ancient. So he's had a, a huge season playing championship football beside a lot of experienced players, and he's been brilliant. And, you know, he's coming up, and they love him there. So he's in for me. And Enda Stevens at left-back. Another uh, great season with Sheffield. I've gone for... Randolph and goals. I've gone for Coleman at right full. I'll tell you where I'm playing Darty in a minute. I've gone for Darrow O'Shea and Egan as my two centre halves. I know O'Shea has played more at right full this season, but I think long term uh, he will play at centre half and he's been a centre half for the, the under 21s. And at left full, it has to be Andy Stevens. Midfield, I've got Connor Horan. He's had a good season. I was worried that he might be in and out of the team, but you know, he's been there. He's got a few goals. I know they stayed up by the skin of his teeth, but he's a, an established pre- Premier League centre midfielder and good for it's great for us. It's good for him. Beside him, then, I have Jason Malumbi, who's had a brilliant season with Millwall. Very unlucky not to get to the playoffs, two points off. You know, he's only 20. We were going on about championship players playing lots of games, lots of young championship players now starting lots of games and you know to be playing 36 games at Millwall one of your first seasons I know he's on loan from Brighton is brilliant and beside him I have Harry Archer who has had a good season on loan with Fulham and we could see him going back up with Fulham but I would hope to see though we wouldn't see him going straight back down to Bournemouth. Archer's in an interesting position at the moment Uh, his manager at Fulham is his brother-in-law and Bournemouth have been his club for a very long time and they took him from non-league to the Premier League I think Bournemouth's financial situation might make it easier for him to leave he's probably one of their higher paid players and I think he would fancy another crack at the Premier League at Fulham and I, uh, I think he's the kind of player that will help Fulham stay up next season yeah he's only 30 like um, Kenny has said that he'd be giving him a call like I know we had the whole thing with Roy Keane and that but that's Keane is gone now and Arthur may feel like he could come back into the fold. Okay. Who have you got so in midfield? I've gone for Malumbi, the same as you. I've gone for Arthur, the same as you. And I've gone for Hurahan, the same as you. I think Malumbi, for a player his age and considering the injuries that he's had, to go to a club like Millwall who had struggled last season in the championship and to make that midfield position his own, I think that's more than we could have asked for. 12 months ago. I think he's going to go back to Brighton and go straight into their first team with Arthur. I think another player who went out on loan, who mightn't have been guaranteed or might have been told that his first team position at Bournemouth wasn't guaranteed. So he took a chance. He went out on loan. Fulham had become one of these clubs who just seemed to be stuck in the championship. Too good to get relegated, but maybe not good enough to get promoted. And now they're looking like they're going to go into the playoff final and finally Horan, a player who's who's now scored in every division in England from League Two to Premier League. He hasn't been a regular starter for Villa, but he's influenced games when he has started. His ability from dead ball situations has led to goals in their last couple of games where they did stay up. I think he's going to be part of the midfield under Stephen Kenny. And he's just he's a player that I've liked for a long time. So that's my midfield three. Yeah. Um, so my front line is Robinson. Not that he knows his limitations, but he wanted to play football and he, he moved. And he wasn't moving to a small team in the championship. He was moving to the team that was probably favourites to win the league at the time when he did move, West Brom. So to go in there, and he's had a good impact. He Three goals, two assists, but he, he played nearly every game. So, you know, it's a ballsy thing to do, especially when you get into the Premier League for... Is, I don't know, is it his first time? I think it is, but 
to decide halfway through the season that he needs to go and play regularly. He could have just stayed with Sheffield maybe and got a few fleeting appearances off the bench, but he decided to go, so he gets into my team for that. Connolly, we talked about him earlier, just a, a brilliant season all round. He's young, he's still developing, but he's at a, he's at a brilliant season. We never had a lot of young players like him playing in the Premier League at that age, making appearances like that. They were usually either playing or they weren't, so it's great to see that. And at the top, uh, McGoldrick, uh, the big underrated McGoldrick, played a ton of games for Sheffield and they love him. Got his new contract, you know, he's 33, got his two goals at the end of the season, but he's more than goals. You know, we add so much to the team, the link-up play, he's a workhorse, you know, he's like a Roberto Firmino, he's that type of player. So that's my front three. I've gone for uh, Matt Doherty as a as a wing forward slash wing back. So you, you do think he can play there for Ireland, so if you're putting him there? Yeah, I, th- I think if we were playing football manager, I'd have him in that right wing forward position with a, an arrow dragged back down to, to right wing back. Um, I'd play him further forward, but with a, a remit to track back and help retrieve possession. I've gone for Aaron Connolly uh, as the left wing forward. I think his goal, his final goal of the season is the kind of goal that, the kind of play that we're going to see from him until he becomes a specialised striker. Coming off that left wing at pace with his control and shooting with power. He made Kevin Long, who's, you know, he's not always in the first team at Burnley, but he's a respected squad player, look very average indeed. And I'd say he's, he'll be raring to go when the new season starts. And up front, I went for Callum Robinson as the the central striker. It hurt me almost to leave out David McGoldrick, but I just felt that Robinson is a better striker. McGoldrick is a better target man. Robinson is a better striker. If I was making the team tomorrow, I could probably go the other way. But yeah, that's my selection. Another thing that's emerged across the season is that there's a squad depth not just in the Premier League, but in the Championship that we haven't had in some time. If we look down through the list of players that we both admitted, Ryan Manning, Jason Knight, Cyrus Christie has gotten back into the Fulham team, Shane Duffy, Nathan Collins, James McLean, Josh Cullen. James uh, had a decent decent end to the season. Yeah, he finished very strongly with Stoke, and I think that Michael O'Neill had an influence there. Jeff Hendrick, we both spoke. We spoke about James Collins earlier. Scott, James McCarthy. Yeah, Michael Obafemi. Neither of us picked Adam Ida or Tri Parrot. So we could have easily picked an equally strong second eleven from the top two divisions in England. And again, the only weak link is possibly uh, the goalkeeper. We hope you've enjoyed our discussions on Irish footballers in England. We hope we kept you entertained during the lockdown and. We hope you're looking forward to the new season in only seven weeks' time as much as we are. On behalf of Phil and Mark, who unfortunately wasn't able to join us, I'd like to thank you, and we'll speak to you when the new season starts. Thank you.